morning. Great to be with you all. Uh, my son just spent that song, uh, which was very beautiful, Mike, uh, just going wah, 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 wah. So it's truly my pleasure to dismiss the elementary school uh, kids uh, and the middle school today. Middle school has program today. I'll get to head downstairs as well. As they go, will you guys join me in prayer? Lord, as we approach your word, may we be open to what scripture says happens when you speak. That your good news is both judgment and grace. That it calls out who we once were but only as an invitation to be who we were meant to be. And so, God, I pray we might be open to the fullness of your gospel, and we might leave your changed people because of it. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we get to our scripture uh, today, uh, we are talking basically about three things. Uh, Advent, which is the season we're in, repentance, which is kind of the main driver of our scripture, and peace. And there's this quote from Frederick Buechner where he's talking about faith, but I think he just really sums up well um, every aspect of this and what we're talking about. And I'd love for you to be thinking about it. Hold it in the back of your mind as we approach the scripture and then get into the sermon. This is what he says. He says, uh, faith is about giving all that you know and you, all you don't know about yourself to all you know and don't know about God. And, and I think that's just a great invitation for us. Our whole self, even the parts we don't know, to God, to the parts of God that we do know and we are confident in, and even the parts that we don't know and that might surprise us. And so, hope you'll keep that uh, in the back of your mind as we approach this passage from Luke chapter 3, verses 2 through 15. Listen for God's word for each of us this morning. During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some, asked, so, some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was no more than uh, eight or nine, just a young, a young boy, and I was sitting under the stockings, the, the hearth aglow with this roaring fire and the smell of Christmas was in the air, and it's then that, that my dad, he would open up the family Bible, and we'd all, we'd all gather around with such anticipation, and then he'd look us each in the eye, and he would shout, you brood of vipers, produce the fruit of repentance. Christmas memories. Of course, I'm kidding, but this scripture sure isn't. And it is no joke that this passage from Luke is actually a traditional Advent text. You will find Eric Ragone tackling it in the Advent devotional in a few short days. And if we can sidestep the intensity for a second, and there's some intense part, it's, it's actually easy to see why. This is very much a text about waiting and preparing, which are themes of Advent. It ends with... Uh, Luke saying that people leave filled with expectation. And even more, the, the three vignettes Jesus or John offers of, of what the fruit of repentance will mean for people's lives are all articulations of the Advent theme for this week, which is peace. It's peace. Did you catch that? The three examples that John uses to describe when people are like, what should we do? Or what is this going to look like? Uh, he said it's the person with more than they need. The tax collector and the soldier, each of those people in their own way, are invited to claim enough. That they have enough. What John says is that somehow, to believe the good news and to repent will produce this attitude toward life, no matter who you are, where one will be at peace because they know the Lord is coming. Yet even with all that said, it is still tough to imagine people singing Christmas carols in response to old Johnny B's sermon, calling out sin, Demanding repentance, it just seems more at home in the season of Lent. 
in the season of Advent. Which is why this morning my prayer is that we can engage this Scripture. And without sugarcoating, without avoiding some of the hard parts, we can begin to actually understand how John's message is hopeful for us. That is, it is a way toward encountering real peace in our lives. And I want to do this by first exploring what it means to repent, and then inviting us to see how repentance proclaims good news precisely by not letting us off the hook about the bad news. And so to begin, let's see if we can get a, a fuller picture of what it means to repent. As many of you know, repentance, it literally means uh, to turn around. But when we hear that definition, the image that I think often comes to mind, or at least comes to mind for me, is, is us having worked really hard to go in one direction, suddenly realizing we need to do an about-face and, and work really hard to go in the other way. Repentance, it feels like the exact same work and mindset of our old life, but set in a different direction. It's like canoeing down a river only to realize you need to be going back upstream. You know, it might be necessary, and you might recognize it as necessary, but it feels more exhausting than life-giving. Oh my gosh, i got to go back up, and it's not with the flow of everyone else now. I'm, I'm rowing up against stream. And while I fall prey to that version of repentance myself, I just don't think that's what it really means. And so instead, I want to invite you to think about it like this. This is not a perfect analogy, because I made it up, and it, but it, I think it at least gets the juices flowing. All right? Imagine you found out today that Jesus was coming over to your house for dinner tonight. Coming over. What would happen? Well, you'd probably be honored and excited, wondering how this could possibly be and why you were, you were picked, but you would also probably change your plans. You would notice what you were doing doesn't really make sense anymore now that you have this new news. If it was me, I'd, I'd put away the single serving of leftover Costco lasagna that I had planned to eat, and I'd, I'd cook a new meal, and I'd cook it for two, and I'd be excited about it. And while we'd recognize that our old way of eating weren't good enough, our, our new dinner plan would not be an attempt to make up for the old one. The new meal would be about our excitement to be with Jesus. The difference between the new meals would be a testimony to how the Lord being with us had changed our course toward a more life-giving way. And friends, repentance is to believe Jesus is coming over for dinner. Notice I did not say changing your plans or cooking the new meal. It's just to believe that Jesus is coming over for dinner. And the fruit of repentance is joyfully responding to that news. To be excited to have this new meal 
which is undoubtedly going to be better than the one you were planning. Neither action is a duty, and both are a response to a God-given opportunity. I think Karl Barth, he sums it up well when he writes, Repentance is not the last, most refined achievement of a righteous person in service to God, but the first act of a righteous God in service to us. Repentance is God coming into our life and us not running away from that good news. So with that in mind, are you guys ready to name your sins? Who wants to go first? Or have I convinced you that being called a brood of vipers is a wonderful step towards the good news of the Christmas season? Probably not. As my wife told me this week, it's just hard to shake the doom and gloom of thinking about our sin and naming it. And per usual, I think my wife is probably correct. But I was thinking about it a lot this week, and that observation, it actually is what brought me to our second point. Because I have become convinced that our problem with repentance isn't that we can't shake the doom and gloom of it. Our problem is that we keep feeling we need to try. In an op-ed last week in the New York Times that uh, Kristen Firevari sent me, it said, uh, Tish Warren wrote, I think Advent offers wisdom to the wider world. It reminds us that joy is trivialized if we do not first intentionally acknowledge the pain and wreckage of the world. In the end, I think there is a reason in the church calendar we are encouraged to celebrate Christmas for 12 days so that we don't have to pack all of the good cheer and manufacture all the joy of Christmas into Advent so so we can carve out some time in these four weeks to face some of our own pain and brokenness, to name it, to, to repent in some way, trusting that we will have a time to actually rejoice in God. I mean, one of the great proclamations of the Christmas news, John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that the light shines in the darkness. It doesn't say that the, the light shines into the light or the dimly lit The good news is not that that Jesus reveals things aren't as dark as we feared. The good news is that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Therefore, in a very real way, Advent is where we learn to not fear our darkness. For we know the light of the world is coming. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? Because here's the deal. Like I said, I've become convinced it is not doom and gloom that is our issue. 
I really want you to think about what it would mean to engage the darkness. Because I think it is the difficulty of believing that God would really become one of us in our doom and gloom. That is our problem. I think we struggle to see who we are and then actually believe God wants to be with us. God wants to be with you. It's beyond belief. God doesn't even care if all we've got is the one serving of Costco lasagna. Because the good news is that God's going to come and then God's going to be the host of our life. Bring it forth as a meal of glory. In one of his letters, the Apostle Paul writes, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And I've just come to believe we struggle with repentance because we cannot imagine a life without regret. We cannot fathom that God would know exactly who we are and still want to be with us. That the good news could really be that good. God wants to be with you. This is what John the Baptist preaches. He proclaims that, yes, we are a brood of vipers, unworthy, lost, incapable of goodness, and Jesus is still coming to be with us. Friends, Advent is the season where we are invited to believe we could never, the, what we could never do for someone else, what we cannot even do for ourselves, to encounter sin and judge it with grace, God's coming to do for us. We truly wrestle with the darkness. What will happen is the Christmas news will actually become the grace-filled mystery that it is. That where we deserve no love, God has incomprehensibly come to redeem us with love. That in Christ, we are enough. You are enough in Jesus Christ. We are free to turn and live lives of peace. And so I want to just close, if you'll bear with me, with a poem. It's called Tears of Silence, and it's by Jean Venier. He's the founder of the Larch Community. It's an organization that supports people with developmental disabilities. I find it to be a perfect summation and just an utterly beautiful word of what the God of repentance and grace means. Here's what it says. I fear the mysterious power of compassion. Compassion requires that I have found myself and no longer play the game of putting on a mask a personage pretending to be appearing. Compassion requires that I become myself, accepting my poverty, letting the spirit breathe, move, 
live love in me, opening my being without fear to the delicate touch of God's hand, accepting that I am loved as I am, with my fears and frailties, with my intelligence and competencies, with my heart and with my hopes, free to be myself. Friends, this is the news that we are preparing for. May we believe and repent, knowing that the God of grace is coming to be with you. We pray with me. Jesus, may we know, may we not fear, may we invited to engage where you say no to our lives. Where you demand that we turn and live another way. Knowing that your no is always wrapped in your yes. That you convict and invite us to live a different way. Because you want to be with us. Because you love us. And that even where we cannot take a first step, if we will simply believe that you have come into our lives, you will allow us to walk on your shoulders, to step onto your grace, and follow you into who we were created to be. May we believe the good news and repent in hope that a life of peace is true with you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.